everybody? Hold on, we can do a little better than that. Good morning, everybody. Outstanding. Listen, if you got up this early, you might as well make a little noise. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to do what you're going to do, you might as well do it and do it loud. At least that's the, uh, the echo or the sentiment of my children. Because uh, whenever they wake up, they just, it's, it's all about them. We're so grateful and thankful that you have invited us here, City of Refuge Community Church. So I represent three different families this morning. So I have to say good morning on behalf of all of my family. So uh, my part-time job is a, <laughs> I'm looking at Dave because Dave is like, dude, you really going to do this. So on behalf of all of the other 1,500 churches that are part of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention and our executive director, Dr. Sonny Tucker, we say thank you so much for your questions cooperative giving and for your sharing with uh, kingdom purposes. Did it, Dave, did I do good? Yeah, please tell Dr. Tucker I did it and I did it at the beginning. And also on behalf of City of Refuge Community Church, put your hands together for our members and friends of City of Refuge Community Church. There, there's a couple of them over there. My wife is over there. Some people, there are people over there. I don't know. If you're part of City of Refuge, wave your hand so I know. Oh, way in the back back there. There you go. And over here, and I don't see anybody else up. Anybody up? Whoop, whoop. There you go somebody over there. Oh, there you go on the worship team. There you go. Yeah, one of the loudest people on the worship team. That's why we turned her mic down very low. You didn't hear her on this morning. She was lip syncing on this morning. So grateful that they are here. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of uh, this very special service. Also, on behalf of the Scoggins family, we say thank you so much for allowing us to be here. My wife, my kids are here. They have no electronics today, so the sermon will be very short. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just telling you, because they will lose their mind. Listen, Gar Springs, you have no idea how much we appreciate you. You have no idea how much we appreciate you. Every single time I go to the restroom at City of Refuge Community Church, I think of Gar Springs. <laughs> I do. You guys came, I don't know what year it was, but you remodeled and changed the restrooms around during a weekend, and I am grateful for you. I'm thankful for our partnership between City of Refuge and God Springs. Every time we stand on our stage, I am grateful for you because you help us take out all of those pews that were put there in the early 1800s, and we sawzalled them together, and we threw them outside, and you put a nice little floor. I am grateful for you. Every time I go down the hallway from the, from the sanctuary onto some other bathrooms, before I get to the other bathrooms, there are two other classrooms. Gar Springs, you did that for us, and you ought to give yourself a great big hand for blessing us as much as you did, which you had no idea you did it, uh, but, but you did it. So Dave, um, let me just say this. I, uh, Dave and I have known each other for a long time, and uh, several, several years. It's been several years and I don't know Dave's face a lot when I see him face to face typically when I have contact with Dave it is because Dave is leaving a meeting or running from something <laughs> so I'm er I'm very familiar with the back of Dave's head so Dave it's so good to see your face uh, on this morning uh, listen I um, I have something I kind of want to want to share uh, in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to land there and just kind of jump into it. I'm not going to say a name of this person, but I have an acquaintance 
Uh, oh, oh let, me, let me say this too. Dave said, I'm gonna tell you what Dave said. Dave said that I'm free, okay? I'm free to be me. Now, that could be a good thing and that could be a bad thing. Uh, me is not a long me, me is a short me, but me may be a loud me. So I'm just, I'm just telling you. So just, just get ready. There you go. A lady looked at me and she went, that means he's going to scream. So just get ready. I may scream. I may not sweat this morning. I got a friend of mine. Uh, she, I won't say her name, but met her, an acquaintance, I guess I should say. Oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago. And she's from Nairobi, Kenya. She's from Nairobi, Kenya. And recently she celebrated something that many of us take for granted. She posted it on Facebook and she celebrated her U.S. citizenship. Uh, while I'm still unsure how long she's been in the United States, I know uh, that she did a lot of things since she's been here. She uh, received her visa. She attended college at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. She's worked at some pretty high positions, Arkansas Food Bank and some other places. And now she's a vice president of a local bank. And then you add on top of that just receiving her U.S. citizenship, I can say confidently that she has, that God has actually been good to her, and she's grateful uh, that that happened. But, you know, recently I was, I was talking to her, I texted her not too long ago, and I said, can I use your story uh, in an upcoming sermon? And she gave me permission. And she said uh, that there are a couple of things that, that uh, she wanted to share with me. There are four things she wanted to share. First thing was, statistically, Less than 1% of visa applications get granted from Kenya. Less than 1% less than 1% of visa applications get granted from Kenya. Number two, the process from visa to work permit to green card to ultimate citizenship is long and expensive. Here's the third thing. Even after appropriate documents are submitted and officer makes the final decision. And this is what she said to me, and I have to write this quote because she put it in this text. She said this, she said, quote, essentially another human being holds the key to her life in America. Can you imagine another human being holding the key to your freedom? Another human being holding the reins to whether or not you can actually be a part of another country. Now, before we start singing my country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, let me just say this. I, I have to make an announcement about myself this morning that just like my friend, I have dual citizenship. Didn't know that about me, but I, I actually have dual citizenship. I am a proud U.S. citizen, but I'm also a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And because I am, yeah, you can clap for that, because I am a proud citizen of the United States and a proud citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I know that many of my brothers and sisters are in here with us on today. 
A lot of my brothers and sisters are here. Listen, here's the deal. It really does not matter how different we are. We're all citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the deal. Let me, let me share a little something about my paperwork. My visa and my paperwork involved confessing my sins and submitting to Jesus Christ. And the only person, the only officer of the kingdom that could keep me in or out of heaven was Jesus Christ and he gladly gave his life for me. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that means you have paperwork to substantiate that you have submitted to Christ, confessed your sins, and you've done it all, and you are my brother or you are my, you are my sister. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And if you've gone through that process, we are literally united in the gospel. Let me just say this real quick. This is not one of those sermons that I'm going to trick you. I'm not going to lead you somewhere and then pull the old whammy on you. Because at the end of the day, what we need to learn and what we need to realize is that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and as citizens of the United States of America, we all run into what I call this unique dilemma. And one of the things that I've come in contact with is this, is while my citizenship in heaven secures my future, I have a question on how do I navigate my current situation? Both of us have that situation. Listen, I know where I'm going when I die, but how do I handle my now? How do I handle raising children? How do I handle the, the price of, of, of gas that went up, then went down, and I'm scared to go anywhere because I'm scared it may go down and up, back up again? How do I handle being a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. Now, here's the deal. Whether we have kids that are homeschool, public school, charter school, whatever school, we are still afraid to send our children to school. We're citizens of heaven, and we can say that, but, but we still experience the grief over the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job or a change in our health, and it has us sleeping less and less. We're citizens of heaven. That's why we are serving. That's why we're sowing. That's why we worship together. But there is somebody under the sound of my voice that can secretly say, yeah, I'm with you. I'm excited about my future, but I'm afraid about my present. I look out my window and I'm nervous about what may or may not happen around me. I'm not getting political. I'm getting very spiritual because secretly somebody under the sound of my voice, your future is secure, but you're scared about your present. You're losing hope in some of the things. You're losing hope in the fact that your kids that grew up in church. I was just having a conversation this morning with, a, with, with someone that I know that their child grew up in church, but they are afraid as they get older, they are drifting away from the foundation of the church and foundation of Christ that they were taught a long time ago. Here's the tension this morning. The tension is this, how do I leverage my heavenly citizenship to help me navigate my earthly condition? I don't know if I went down your road, but it really doesn't matter. If you're dealing with a dilemma, 
If you're facing something dark, if you're facing something heavy, it really doesn't matter. You are still a heavenly citizen, but you still got to deal with the day-to-day -day stuff. Jesus understood this dual citizenship dilemma, and he realized that it was going to be a challenge. So here's the deal. So I'm looking at the Bible, and I'm trying to figure out, how do I deal with that? In order for me to navigate my now, I have to understand what it takes for me to be a kingdom citizen. I have to understand what it, what it takes. Literally, I need, a, I need a litmus test, if you will. I need a series of assessments that can help me deal with not only where I'm going, but where I am now. It's kind of like this. You know payday is coming. So you, do you buy that brand new loaf of bread today, or do you just wait and eat up that old, the ends? I don't know if y'all know about the ends, the ends of the bread. When I was little, I didn't eat the ends of the bread because I thought the ends of the bread were some Something that we threw to the dog. But at the end of the day, when I'm working, waiting for my payday, do I go ahead and buy another loaf of bread when I know payday is coming? Or do I just hold on? And, and I know y'all guys are in the middle of a 40-day fast, so I really shouldn't be talking about food. But I'm dealing with, but you can drink bread and water and you can put a little salt on it, a little sugar, and I guarantee you it tastes real good. We called it a syrup sandwich if we put some syrup on the bread and we take off from there. But how do I deal knowing that payday is coming and am I going to be able to make it to payday? I know Jesus is coming, but sometimes I want him to come right now. Can I be Neil here for a second? Sometimes I know Jesus is coming, but the challenges that I face in my life, I start to look around and go, Jesus, can you come Friday? <laughs> Matter of fact, can you come soon the service is over? Can you come? I'm going to Disney World in a couple of weeks. Can you come after we come back from Disney World? <laughs> you'll resolve a whole lot of problems for me. I don't have to deal with the bills that I have. I don't have to deal with the co-workers I got to deal with. I don't have to go to the doctor's appointments. I don't have to deal with all that other stuff. If we would be honest with ourselves, we know we're going to heaven when we die, but we are struggling right now. Amen. At the end of the day, what we have to realize is that, listen, God did not set us up for a major future for us to suffer right now. He's got something special for you and for me. But in order for me to deal with the now, I got to deal with the litmus test of what it really means to be a kingdom citizen. But this litmus test is wrapped in one question. And we're going to land Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 10. Why does Jesus teach in parables? Is our litmus test, it's our answer. Why in the world does Jesus teach in parables? Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Jesus, why in the world are you using parables? You know what parables are. Parables are, a, are an earthly story to communicate a biblical or theological truth. You know those stories that your grandparents used to tell you that would say, you know what? Um, 
when you see the ants going back into their holes, when you're looking at the ground, expect some rain. I don't know if that's true or not. I ain't really paid that much attention to an ant. <laughs> Old wives' tales used to tell me a story they used to say. They used to say when birds would line up on the electrical wires and they're just sitting there and it's a whole bunch of them and it's cool outside, be prepared for snow. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. Here's, here's one that, that y'all have no idea of in African-American community. Here's one. On the brand new day of a brand new year, make sure that at midnight you have no wet towels. Because Y'all think I'm lying. I'm serious. You can go ask somebody black. No wet towels at midnight or you will have bad luck for the next 365 days. I don't know if that's true or not, because I ain't never had no wet towels at midnight. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Jesus uses those parables to capture our attention. But here's the deal. Why is he really using these parables? He's using these parables so that he can remind us that we are kingdom citizens and kingdom citizens understand what he's saying. If you follow me just for a little bit, I promise you, we'll go on and we'll start packing bags and getting hot and sweaty and, and try to help and we'll see Dave in his shorts. <laughs> I'll take my time. The parables of Jesus are designed, first of all, to spark spiritual insight. They're designed to spark spiritual insight. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 kind of lays it out for us. Jesus answers the question in verse 11. He says, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. That word secrets translates into mystery. In the King James, it says mystery. And that word mystery in the Greek literally means hidden purpose. It means hidden purpose. Now, here's the deal. God is not trying to hide something from us. God is really trying to reveal something to us. Let me say it differently. God is not trying to cover up something from us. God is trying to reveal something to us. God is not playing hide and seek with us. God really wants us to know more about him. If you understand the parable, you can understand the Savior. And when you understand the Savior, you understand your destiny. And if you understand your destiny, you can more, more successfully deal with your, with your present. God, Jesus used uh, uh, parables to spark our spiritual insight. He wants us to know exactly, here's the deal, God wants us as believers to heighten our spiritual sensitivity. God wants us, God desires for us to be sensitive to him and his way of doing things. Because here's the deal. There is a man way that always has an expiration date, and then there's a God way. Let me, let, let, let me prove it to you. Go right now 
and get some milk. Only get a pint because milk is too high. Put it in your refrigerator and let it sit there. Don't use it. Don't bother it. Don't mess with it. At some point, that milk will spoil because that milk has an expiration date. Compare that to the time and the date that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whether you serve or don't serve, give or don't give, as long as you are locked into his hands, his blood still covers you and you still have a seat in heaven. Here's the deal. My relationship with Jesus Christ does not have an expiration date. Man's stuff has an expiration. Here's the deal. God wants us to be sensitive to his way of doing things. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is God's way of doing things. Man's way of doing things is, is get all you have and can all you have. Get all you can and then can all you have. God's way of doing things is this. God's way of doing things is this. When you receive, be prepared to give it right back out because there is a spiritual principle that says give and shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give to your bosom. Here is the deal. God just wants us to have insight on his way. We think that the, I'm, I'm beginning to believe, at first I thought that the pandemic was a bad thing. Do you know what I do now more than I did before the pandemic? Pray for real used to call his name, but now I'm praying for real. I used to read over scripture, but now I'm allowing scripture to be a part of me. What God wants us to understand is there is a mystery in all of the crazy things that are going on to prove who he is. Listen, you got in school, but you don't know how you're going to pay for school, but God made a way for you to pay for school, and now you don't owe anything when you get out of school. That's a mystery. Matter of fact, that's God. You retired early and you're still able to have your needs met. That's God. You lost things in your life, but God put a community around you to keep you. That's God. What we need to learn to do is allow those parables to spark spiritual insight so that we can look at our problems as potential and look at our dilemmas as development. If we really break down verse 11, in the New Living Translation, it says this, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Let's break that down a little deeper. It's really saying Jesus is telling the disciples that they have been granted access to perceive the hidden purpose of the kingdom. I don't want to go too deep with anybody this morning, but let me just say this. All of the things that you think are negative are really a setup to show God's glory. Everything that is dark is really an opportunity for God's light to shine. Everything that's a weight it's really an opportunity for you to put your hands down and for God to raise his hands up. The Bible says, Jesus said, I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto myself. Stop trying to get people to be attracted to you and allow them to be attracted to what God is doing through you. Spark spiritual insight. Here's the other part. Let me just say this. It's going to be kind of tough. I'm going to hurt somebody. It's kind of a rocky road. Jesus lays out parables not only to spark spiritual insight, but he does this. He gives us this opportunity. It shields spiritual incompetence. 
That may sound crazy, but it's really right there. Look at verse 11 again. You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Wait a minute. You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Is Jesus making a distinction between others and you? You mean Jesus, the great unifier, is now drawing a line of demarcation to separate the yous and the others? Why would Jesus do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. Wait a minute, let me read it again because maybe I didn't study well. You are permitted to understand the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Wait a minute. Jesus said that the parables are for you, but not for others. Are you, are you kidding me, Jesus? Jesus, the same Jesus that said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Sounds like to me, Jesus is a separatist. He's a division expert. He has the philosophy of separation, division, and, 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 and ostracization, if that's a word. You say that three times and you'll spit on somebody close to you. <laughs> you mean to tell me, wait a minute. Here's the question. How do I know that I'm a you and not an other? Oh, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the disciples, so the disciples that understand what he's saying, but they understand what he's laying out, but then the others are not. Listen, here is the deal. Maybe it could be that the yous are open to God's way of doing things, but the others have not made it there yet. The entire world, let me cut across the field and go pretty fast to this one because people are thinking, this dude is theologically kind of messing up me with me right now. You mean to tell me that Jesus, the great unifier, is now drawing a line of demarcation? It may be a little bit, but maybe it's more about maturity rather than separation. Because if we look at it, those of us that are following the tenets and the direction that God wants us to follow, we are the yous. And as long as there are yous, there will always be a mission field of others. So what needs to happen is that the yous that understand what we are supposed to do need to connect with the others so that the others can mature from being others to other yous. Are y'all feeling what I'm saying? Let me put it this way. Let's talk about the A's and the B's. I'm not going to use color because you get in trouble nowadays. You start talking about different kind of colors around, uh, especially those primary colors. So here's the deal. Black, white, red, blue. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So here's the deal. So if, if I am an A and I am following Christ, but there are some Bs over here that don't understand the principles and the parables, as long as I understand, I always have a mission field to go minister to the others. There are other people in your family, other people in your church, other people in your community, other people in your congregation, other people in your Sunday school class that don't understand the tenets and don't understand the spiritual sensitivity that God is trying to lay out to you and to me, and it is our responsibility, united in the gospel, to go and reach those that are lost. And it's not just those that are lost, but those that think they know and are lost in their knowing. Because there's a whole lot of folk that think they know, but don't really know what they know. You think what I'm saying? 
Could it be that the others have a heart that has not matured into good soil? I believe that this scripture in verse 11 is very strategically placed between verses 1 and 10. Because if you look at starting at verse 3, uh, uh, Jesus is laying out a parable. Let me go through this pretty quick so we can look at it. Look at verse 3. Jesus told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. He scattered them across his field. Some fell on a footpath. Birds came, ate them up. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, plants blew up, and then the sun hit them, and then they died out. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, grew up, choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop, which was 36 and even 100 times as much as they had planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Here is the deal. Could it be potentially that there are people around us that are one of those four sections of the soil that Jesus was talking about in verses 1 through 10. Could it be that that could even be one of us? 25% of what Jesus sowed sprouted up. But just because you have a stoic heart, nothing grows. A shallow heart, it grows up fast and it goes back out. A suffocated heart can't grow because issues get you. And because you have not quite made it to a sensitive heart does not necessarily mean that just because you're outside, you stay outside. At the end of the day, I think I'm confusing somebody, but let me bring you back. When Jesus is talking about all of those types of soil, he potentially is talking about the maturation process of believers. Folks that now believe that didn't believe at first. Jesus shares in parables for a couple of different reasons to spark spiritual insight and to keep us from getting it all mixed up. It shields us from spiritual incompetence. In other words, here's the thing. If I think I know, but I don't know, then I'm sharing the wrong and the don't know to other people that are around me. Let me make it a little plain. At the end of the day, what Jesus wants us to do is be more concerned about evangelism rather than arrogant grandstanding. Let me say that again. What Jesus wants us to be about is not showing off the fact that you know a whole bunch of scriptures. You know two scriptures and a song, but you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. What Jesus wants us to understand is that, you know what, you may be a you, but there are some others that don't know what you know. Our responsibility, if we are kingdom citizens, our responsibility, if we're learning how to navigate, it's to not to be all to be sparked, but, but to make sure that we share the truth with those that are around us. When we share the truth with those that are around us, it totally changes everything in our lives. You know what? Wrote this down. I don't know why. If my heart is not right, I'm not going to look at God's stuff in God's way. Jesus is more concerned about the condition of our heart than the production of our hands. And if our heart is right, then our hands will produce things that give God glory and just not us access. Last thing, and then we're going about our way. Not only does Jesus use parables because it sparks spiritual insight, it shields us from spiritual incompetence. It keeps us on track. But here's the last thing. It stimulates personal Excess, but I want to change that last word from excess to access.
access. It stimulates personal access. Look at verse 12, then we're done. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. Let me say this as clearly as I can. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Part A of verse 13 says, that's why I use these parables. When I was 16 years old, I knew everything. You couldn't tell me nothing. I knew how to drive perfectly. I knew how to write perfectly in cursive. I knew the scores of football games before they happened. I understood things in ways that nobody could understand. I was I, 16. I, I know you, that didn't happen to you, but if you have a teenager, you know, teenagers know everything. I knew that my parents did not understand what I was dealing with because they were old people. They were in their 40s. <laughs> and old people don't know what a 16-year-old knows. But then God allowed me to get married. <laughs> Marriage taught me. I don't know anything. <laughs> I can't dress myself. I don't know how to clean correctly. I drive too fast or too slow, and I eat too much or too little or the wrong thing. I'm 16, somebody said pray chat. <laughs> when I'm 16, I knew it all, but marriage, was the crucible that drew me to the cross <laughs> that allowed me to understand. I thought I knew, but now I don't know. In first, I love you, baby, but you are a blessing that teaches me that prayer does work. <laughs> and humility wins every time. All I want to do is watch the game. But here's the, here's the thing. You threw me all off right there. You start laughing and you, you threw me off. I don't know where I am. But here's what Jesus is trying to say. First Corinthians reminds us that God will use foolish things to confound the wisdom of the wise. In other words, God will use strange things, strange situations, strange encounters to prove that he's in control and we're not in control. Verse 12 says, those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. Listen, people in this world, uh, when I was in high school, we used to have this phrase and we would say this phrase, he said, we would say, a sane person in an insane society must appear insane. Let, let, let me say it again. A couple of folks got it. Got a, school, a couple of school teachers that got it. Here you go. A sane person in an insane society must appear insane. After all, as believers, 
Aren't we peculiar people? A holy nation? A royal priesthood? Aren't we different? And when we begin to submit to the ways and the sensitivity and the direction and the word of God, what happens is people that think they know realize they don't know a thing. Because when they think they have their eternity set up, but Jesus is not at the center, they don't have their eternity sewed up. When they think they have peace in their money or their position or their relationships or their address, we realize that it's not about your address on heaven. It's about your ad address on earth. It's about your address in heaven. At the end of the day, what happens is this. God gives us access in ways that we've never had access before. I don't look at the rain as something that's a negative now. I look at the rain as something that is feeding my seed. I don't look at dilemmas as challenges that cause me to, to pull out my hair or hair that I used to have. I look at those challenges or dilemmas as, you know what, God, you're just trying to get me to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm a kingdom citizen. I'm an earthly citizen. I've got dual citizenship. Why should I worry about what's happening down here? It's all going to go away anyway. The only worry we should have is who's saved and who's not. Who's connected and who's not. Who's covered and who's not. I believe that the makers of the Tootsie Roll Pop were theological people that under, y'all know the Tootsie Roll Pop. Young people don't have no idea what a Tootsie Roll Pop. They think it's a dance. It's not a dance, it's actually. <laughs> I think young people sitting over there because I hear y'all. It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a little white stick and it's got something wrapped around the stick and then something else wrapped around. It's, a, it's called the Tootsie Roll Pop. And the Tootsie Roll Pop, as you have the Tootsie Roll Pop, there is a hard covering on the outside, and then on the inside there's something else, which literally teaches me a major theological truth that if I, you remember the commercial that the owl said, how many, they asked the owl, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? One, let's try. He pulled the thing up. One, two, three. It takes three. And he hit three. Nope, nope, that's not it. Engineering students, I'm full of useless information. Engineering students at Purdue University created a mechanism that simulated the human tongue and licking. They, for real, it's, shoot, it's on the internet. It's got to be true. <laughs> they determined that it takes approximately 364 licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop. And once you get to the center, don't try it because you'll be wasting your time. They've already done, some say between 252 and 364. 364 was the max. 
And once you lick that external part off, then the prize of the gum is actually in the middle. From a theological perspective, I'm thinking of the passage of Scripture that says, Oh, taste and see, lick, lick, that the Lord is good. Lick, lick. What those engineering students and what the creators of the Tootsie Roll Pop were trying to prove to us from a theological perspective, we are kingdom citizens. We have so much joy that other people don't have. We have joy because Christ is our partner. He's our big brother. The Word is our company keeper. The Holy Spirit is our guide. Lick, 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 lick. Even though life can be hard sometimes, just like the outside, that Tootsie Roll pop, and we want to put pressure on it to crack it, and it cracks, and, and we miss the fun because all of those pieces are in our mouth. You can never do it with one crack to get all of those pieces of candy in your mouth, but you just keep on licking. When life throws you some crazy stuff, just keep licking. When life has dilemmas in your life, just keep licking. When people leave you and have to go in a totally different direction, just keep on licking. When people do not understand why you're still holding on to that Tootsie Roll pop like Kojak solving a case, just keep licking. Just keep licking. Because when this life is over, when this earthly house, this tabernacle is done after all of the screams and all of the cries and all of the joy and all of the graduations and all of the retirement parties and all of the funerals of your friends and family members just keep licking. When that is over, God says just because the outer shell is over, it does not mean that your celebration is over. Because even after the hard shell is gone, what happens is there is a gum center that you can chew on for eternity. I don't even know what that gum center is made out of, but you can chew on that until the cows come home. And I don't know why a cow would come home, why I'm chewing, but that phrase sounds good placed right there. <laughs> has something so special for you when we operate in spiritual insight, when we're careful about walking in theological integrity, when we use the wisdom that God has given us, when we identify the use and the others, when we understand that God has a rule, a, a, a responsibility for us to do, not just to get saved ourselves, but to share the gospel with somebody else. That's when you keep licking. And you keep licking until that gum hits your mouth and you can lay down in peace. I can tell somebody that knows Jesus when I go to their funeral because they have a smile on their face and a Tootsie Roll pop in their hand. <laughs> when I die, I don't want my body here, but baby, when I die, statistics say that men die before women. So when I die, what I want you to do is go get a Tootsie Roll pop. And while you're sitting at the funeral home, just stick it in my right hand, I'm right-handed, to remind people to see me at the funeral home that while this body is done, I'm getting ready to go chew some gum and hang out with the Lord forever. We're going to smile. We're going to be excited. We're going to shout. We're going to be so joyful. 
grateful, everything is going to be good. Put that Tootsie Roll pop in my right hand, go buy some stock in Tootsie Rolls. Because I guarantee you the stock going up, because everybody gonna want a Tootsie Roll pop. Every funeral home across the nation. Buy Tootsie. Would you like our Tootsie Roll pop service? And this life is over. God, we thank you so much for reminding us that we have dual citizenship. When we accept you as Lord and Savior, when we surrender to you, but when we also are the best citizens and the best people that we can be here down on earth. God, the bottom line is this, Lord, teach us how to be the best used so that we can serve others, so that you can be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what, at City of Refuge, we have a threefold invitation. One is if you are unsaved or unsure, we can come to church week in and week out and ask ourselves a question. You know what? I'm connected with church, but I'm not connected with Christ. I guarantee you there will be people here to pray for you and pray with you and lead you down that road so that you can solidify that relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know that God has called you to just another level of service, another level of living, another level of evangelism, you may be locked in, but can I tell you something? There is a mission field of others. They don't have peace. They don't have joy and they don't have a solid, eternal plan. Our responsibility is to minister to them. God, there are those that need you. There are those that have heard your word and heard your voice. And we are praying today, oh God, that they will respond to your word. They respond to what you have spoken to them in the language that they understand. So cover us, oh God, in Jesus' name.